This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Hey friends, welcome back to the Worth Your Time podcast. I'm your host, Erica, and I'm so glad you're here today. Today, I'm speaking with Kelly Trent. She is the mom of Tyler Trent, the college student who became known as a Purdue superfan as he battled a long, difficult journey with cancer. Through his years of cancer, Tyler's optimistic spirit and faith in God's work through his life never wavered. He was named an honorary Purdue football team captain, awarded ESPN's Disney's Wild Wide World of Sports Spirit Award, and more importantly, has to date raised over $2 million for cancer research. Tyler lost his life to cancer in January of 2019, but his legacy lives on very loudly through his family. I was really honored to speak with his mom, Kelly, today about her incredible son, one she says God had such an important mission for. No mom should ever have to lose their son, and no 20-year-old college student should lose their life to cancer. But Tyler and his mom weren't going to let this tragedy be in vain. As one of my favorite podcasts, host Davy Blackburn, who lost his wife Amanda, puts it, nothing is wasted. That's most certainly true when it comes to Tyler's life, and I've no doubt Kelly's message today will bring hope to your world. As someone who's lost a beloved family member to cancer as well, I'm ready to raise two million more dollars for Tyler. Enjoy this conversation with Kelly Trent. All right, everyone. Well, today I'm here speaking with Kelly Trent. She's the mother of Tyler Trent, who many listeners probably know from his courageous battle with cancer, his fight to raise money for cancer research, and his epic love for Purdue, among many other things. Kelly, thank you so much for coming on today to share the story of your family and of your son. My pleasure. It's a privilege. Thank you. Well, to get started, can you just tell me a little bit more about who you are, who's part Mm -hmm. of your family, and what are the most important things in your life? Yes, absolutely. So I was born and raised in Indy. Um, I have a pretty large family. We all actually live within like six miles of each other, which is a huge blessing. Um, I have amazing support from my brothers and sister-in-laws and my mom and um yeah, so that, that's that been a huge blessing in all of this. I was born and raised um, going to East 91st Street Christian Church. Um, my dad tragically passed away in 1996, but by God's grace in 1998, my mom remarried a gentleman that I actually grew up with in church. And it's kind of a fun story because he and his first wife, she died of cancer, um, did my husband and I's engaged couples counseling at church. Um <laughs> Yeah, so such a crazy story. He, his oldest son, and my brother were roommates after college, so we we've known him. Um, so our families bonded very easily and very well. So there's a whole bunch of us. I think like 24, 25 in all. Um, and like I said, we're all within like a six mile radius. Um, Jim, my mom's second husband, tragic, or he passed of cancer in 2018, a year before Tyler, but. Um, I come from good roots, um, an amazing family, amazing support, feel incredibly grateful. My in-laws love the Lord as well and love that side of the family. We're just, we, we, re- my husband and I recognize how blessed we are. I'll just say that. 
That's amazing. Yeah, I think yeah. Uh, extended family is something that people maybe take for granted sometimes. And I always mm-hmm. try to remember that myself because I have wonderful aunts and uncles and just so mm-hmm. much support. And um, I, I know that not everybody has that. So right. I get that. But it sounds like cancer has really affected your family, not just recently, but you know, throughout the years. Um, for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, and as I'm sure many people listening um, relate to that, I know it's been a part of my family history as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's kind of start there. You know, some people know what Tyler's story is generally, but mm-hmm. talk to me about when you guys first found out. I know he, he didn't have it just once and, and the first battle was mm-hmm. when he was younger. So tell us that story of when you first found out about it. Yeah, so um, Tyler's first diagnosis was in July of 2015. No, yes, wait, I'm sorry, 2014, July of 2014. Um, We had gone up to my in-laws for the 4th of July like we always do, and my sister-in-law's a nurse. And Tyler had been complaining about his arm hurting him. Um, he had gone to a best friend's birthday party in July and threw a Frisbee and really hurt it. And we kind of, we just took him to the local sports medicine guy, um, to get some exercises to help, to see if he had any thoughts on it. We just thought maybe it was like a muscle injury, but on the 4th of July that year, um, my sister-in-law said to me, something's wrong with Tyler. And I was like, what, what do you mean? And he's like, she was like, he's so thin. Well, you know, he was a 15 year old kid. And so I just chalked it up to puberty growing. He was a basketball player. Um, He'd been very active and, you know, regardless of his injury, it did not stop him. He went on a missions trip. He went to leadership camp. Mm -hmm. I mean, he did all sorts of things after that injury in June. Um, But my sister-in-law made me promise that I would take him and have his, um, have him looked at. So... We did that following week, and um, they did an x-ray. We, I took him to a walk-in sports, sports medicine clinic type place, and he came back, and he said to me, so the nurse said this doesn't look good. Like, he heard her say that, mm-hmm. um, and I didn't really know what to think, and the doctor walked in, and he was wonderful. Dr. McCarroll, he was absolutely wonderful. He took such good care of us, but... You know, within like 30 seconds, I knew something was really wrong. Um, He kept shaking his head no and circling the x-ray and saying, this shouldn't be here. This shouldn't be here. Do you see this? Um, He's an older gentleman, so he'd seen it a lot. Um, And as a matter of fact, we weren't even like we were having trouble getting our insurance um, to qualify an MRI later that day. And Dr. McCarroll's nurse called and said, we just, he just wants you in here. We'll deal with insurance later. This needs to be taken care of. Mm-hmm. Brought, yeah, brought Tyler in for the MRI. I, and it was, it's probably about like a 10, 12 minute drive from my house. I was no more than halfway home when he called me and said, um, Mrs. Trent, while I can't be a hundred percent sure, I'm quite, I'm quite certain your son has osteosarcoma bone cancer. So that was the beginning, um, of our, of our journey. And, um, by God's grace, he took incredible care of us. He got us with the best doctors. And we felt like everyone we talked to just reiterated over and over again who we were seeing as a surgeon, who we were seeing as an college, like they were the best. And so that was really helpful. But yeah, that's when his journey started. And 
when you got that diagnosis uh, mm-hmm. for you personally, what's your reaction to that? Because I think everybody responds to information mm-hmm. like that differently. Like one person may freak out, break down, crying. Another person mm-hmm. might, you know, take that on with like, we're going to beat this. So what was your reaction? So I, I am so thankful. Tyler had a friend with him um, that wanted to come and support him and be there because they were in the back seat and I was in the front. <laughs> and I didn't have a whole lot of words, right? Like I just completely listened to him. Um, I pulled in the driveway and within 15 seconds, my, my husband pulled in behind me and Tyler and his friend went inside and I fell into Tony's arms and just started bawling. Um, it's my initial reaction, um, and telling Tony, and that was, I think on like a Thursday, and by Saturday morning, we knew it was time to let Tyler knew. He knew something was going on. Oh, so um, you had not told him right away. Okay. Uh, we didn't. Nope. We waited a few days. We kind of processed, talked to a lot of friends, a lot of connections, you know, a lot of who knows who and, you know, where should we go, you know, and kind of all of that thing. But Tyler was a really smart kid. I mean, he knew something was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so that Saturday morning... My husband, God bless him, like brought all of us together as a family and um, he actually recited Psalm 103 and we just were like, all we want to do is glorify the Lord through this. Like no matter what happens, this is our journey. This is what we've been given. There are no reasons to say why me because it could be anybody, you know, that just could. I mean, I... Um, we're not special for it not to happen to us necessarily, but you know, that doesn't mean it obviously wasn't really hard, (laughs) but that was kind of our initial outset, I would say. And was that Tyler's perspective as well? Was he with you on that? He was initially, yes. His first diagnosis initially, yes. That did not last, I would say through the nine months of, um, chemo and major surgery and all of that. And Mm -hmm. I don't know if you want me to go into that yet, but I, I heard somewhere, I, I think it was maybe a video you were on, where you talked about him saying he felt like he wasted his first battle with cancer Correct. Um, because he had more of a negative perspective. And then when he was then diagnosed again, he didn't want to do that again. So I guess let's talk a little bit about the in-between. So you said he went through nine months and then mm-hmm. he was in remission for two years. Yeah, about 18 months. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so when you yeah. guys hit remission that first time, did you feel freedom? Did you feel like you were out of the woods or were you just scared all the time that it was going to come back? Um, I would say he felt freedom (laughs) Mm -hmm. for sure. Like again, he went on another missions trip. He was living life to the fullest. He had come through so much emotional, like tragedy, I would say like in, in the mix of fighting physically because he really struggled with everyone thinking he was strong But he really wasn't, you know, I slept on his room. He was suicidal, you know, all of those things. But I would say about six, seven months into it, he really kind of had to turn around. The Lord started to work on his life. And so when Tyler went into remission, he was full on loving life, living every minute of it. Mm. I, on the other hand, was not. And it sounds so crazy. And I even look back at that time period and can hardly believe it, but I don't know. I don't know if it was like, it was never diagnosed as post-traumatic stress syndrome, but I had spent, all of his treatment was inpatient. 
and I have two younger boys than Tyler, I had spent so much time in the hospital. I mean, we were lucky to get like a week out of the hospital for nine months Mm -hmm. um, that I really had a hard time that summer. Um, I was so happy for Tyler, but no, I mean, every three months we had checkups and I would just hold my breath because I know, um, you know, osteosarcoma is relentless. Um, It doesn't have great, you know, statistics and outcomes. And so it was really hard for me. Yeah, I I can't. (laughs) Every time I try to start talking about this as a mom, I just start breaking down. Um, Mm -hmm. I have two kids and it just, you know, I can put myself in your shoes thinking about it. Thank you. Um, Thank you. But I will try not to keep crying. I do this. No, I, <laughs> this trust is, me. I this know. is a, a weakness I have. <laughs> um, so, but let's let's talk about the next time. So, when you yeah. guys did ultimately eighteen months later, when you went in for the day that you found out, I don't know if you found out on the same day that you went in for the test. Were you surprised? Were you? I mean, what was that like for for you and then for Tyler as well? Yeah. So it was honestly pretty awful um so he was a senior in high school at that point we had been in Florida in January um on the beach a lot we took him for a senior trip he started complaining about his hip hurting he went on a ski trip in February late February um came home crying saying something's wrong with my hip so we went back to his surgeon literally like two or three days later had an x-ray nothing showed up so we were, and I, I like no blame whatsoever. It's just the way it worked out. Um, but so they just thought maybe it was like a groin injury. They weren't really sure, but that was late February. And then by late March, I, it was not getting better. He was starting to limp. And so we called a surgeon back and we were like, something's not right. He needs an MRI. Um, and so by mid April, we were told about his second diagnosis, that there was another osteosarcoma tumor in his, not only like invading his hip, but it had grown into his pelvic. So, um, you know, part of that was we had to like completely make, I mean, the surgeons had to rally and make up how they were going to take care of this because it's just not normal. It's one thing to get a hip replacement, but not to replace your pelvic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that was quite an ordeal. But I will tell you, I remember um, in that first appointment, he looked at his doctor and he said, I don't care what you have to do. I will be at Purdue <laughs> on the first day of classes in August. Like, he was so determined to do whatever he had to do to make it to college. And so that, that was going to be his freshman year? Correct. So what? Well, I guess I should ask what makes him love Purdue so much. <laughs> Well, you know, here, okay, so it's kind of a funny story. My husband is a Purdue alum. Um, I'm not, and I, but I love Purdue, always have. I'm, 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 being from Indiana, I'm for whatever Indiana school is playing. Yeah, same. Yeah, right. (laughs) I'm like, whatever, like, it's all good. Although, I would say now, if you're playing Purdue, I want Purdue to win, but um, Mm -hmm. that's just how good they've been to us. Anyway, he used to tease my husband and like he would go to Goodwill and buy IU shirts and put them on because my side of the family is actually big time IU. Like mm. my brothers, my sister-in-laws, my dad, like it's, um, so I grew up in, in an IU family. Um, 
but so he kind of used to harass his dad a little bit. But when it came down to it, he only um, it uh, applied to three schools, IU, Purdue, and NC State. I will tell you, his heart was on NC State. Mm-hmm. They had an amazing data analytics program, which that's what Tyler wanted to do, ultimately. And um, Jimmy V, he was a huge fan of Jimmy Valvina, you know, the NC, Houston, NC, NC State basketball coach. He kind of has the um, famous SB speech about don't give up, don't ever give up. Mm-hmm. And Tyler used to write that on his hand every single time he was in the hospital. Oh, wow. Yeah, so much so that Purdue Dance, um, we have something called um, Purdue Dance Marathon where they raise money for our local Riley mm-hmm. Hospital, kid, which is where Tyler went. They all write it on their hands. Like, don't give up, don't ever give up. It's very cool. But anyway, yeah. sorry. No, that's okay. Um, yeah, so, and he got in there and originally kind of declared that that's where he was going to go. But I think... As he just really started to pray about it and think about it, just with his the potential of his health and um, finances, he had a really nice scholarship to Purdue. He just decided Purdue is where he didn't care for IU when we went for that visit, and so and being closer to home too. Yeah, yeah, and and I will tell you, like, he, there was a weekend where he declared he was going to NC State, and we were holding our breath and we're like, all right. Um, and then like three or four days later, he came to us and said, you know, I've really been thinking about this. I think God wants me to go to Purdue. Well, like a week later, we found out about his second diagnosis. Mm. So he never would have made it to NC State. I mean, yeah. he could not, yeah, it just, it would not have happened. And so I just see it as God's Yeah, that's grace. cool that God put that on his heart to change his mind before so he didn't feel like he was being forced into it or something. Right, right. And that we, and, and it was so special to Tony and I because we didn't feel like, you know, we were, we trusted Tyler. He was, he's always been highly responsible. He was an easy kid raising and we were just like, he has to make his own decision. So for us to not even be like the ones that had to say, you can't do this mm-hmm. was extra special too. Um, and so was it then on the day of that second diagnosis mm-hmm. that he said to you something about wanting to make the second time around count? Yes. Um, so I would say that um, probably the first words that came out of his mouth were, while I'm highly disappointed well, I was afraid of this and I don't want this. I'm going to do this differently. And so, yeah, that's, he just decided if this is going to be my journey, if this is what, you know, my life is going to be about, I really want to do things. Cause he just struggled with feeling like everyone thought he was so strong when he really wasn't. And in our four walls, we knew he wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and he knew he wasn't, but he, he had grown so much in those 18 months and, um, you know, started ministries and gone on missions trips and discipled people and talked at youth groups. And, um, yeah, he just decided this is not going to be the same and I will not, I will not do this the same way I did it last time. How would you describe faith in his life and how that faith contributed to this approach that he took and how really it, it was part of his journey there forward. Right. Um, well, I'll tell you, he was mentored really well. Um, he was very, very close to his youth pastor, Joe Whitmer growing up. Um, and they kept a very special bond as, as well as our head past lead pastor at our church. And, 
um, I, I give them more credit probably than Tony and I, to be honest with you, and just friends that rallied around him and held him up. And I just think he, um, you know, he finally got to the point where he was like, if not me, it's somebody else. You know, kind of like I said earlier, I, mm -hmm. I'm no different than anybody else. And so I know what God's done for me. Like he knew his personal testimony. He knew what God had got him through. Um, he, he was a huge reader. He read all the time. Um, and I just think he grew so much spiritually out of Thanksgiving for remission. But I also think in the back of his head, I, I just think he knew that this doesn't mean it's over, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it totally does. And for you, how, as a mom, as a Christian going through this, what did your like faith life look like throughout mm -hmm. this? I mean, did you ever have moments where you just wanted to shut it down? Mm -hmm. Yep. A hundred percent. Um, I, I will tell you, like we just were doing the interview the other day and, um, my backyard, we had just done a huge backyard project and it kind of became my sanctuary where I spent most of my time with the Lord, at least when the weather allowed. Um, but I had so many days or I should say Sunday mornings where I couldn't, if I'm, if you want me to be brutally honest, like I couldn't even sing the songs. Like I was like, I know truth. I've raised to know I've been raised to know this, but I really don't feel it right now. And are you good? You know, good, good father. Are you good? You know, are you faithful? Will you see me through this? And so church actually became one of my hardest times for a period of time. Mm -hmm. um, wanting to get in and out as quick as, as quick as possible, not having to answer questions or being asked things. And then just feeling like I couldn't even sing. I was so not understanding what God was doing. And all my boys are special. I don't even, but Tyler was just, he had so many things. To, I just could not understand it. I just really, really could not understand it. But at the end of the day, you know, it is my faith. Um, it is my non-wavering belief that Jesus will see me through this that gets me through. Yeah. So going back to when he, they figured out they needed to do something about his pelvis, but he told mm -hmm. them he wanted to show up, you know, the first <laughs> day of classes. So what ended up happening there and how did he end up showing up at class? Right. So, um, yeah, that summer, you know, it was like I said, it was April of his senior year. So he graduated, you know, high school with no hair and, you know, a cancer patient and smiled all the way through it and, um, lived every moment that he could, but he started chemo right away. Of course, it looked very different this time because they considered, so osteosarcoma bone cancer has not had new treatment for over 35 years. Oh my goodness. Yeah. It, they, they don't, they have nothing like they, it, they either, considered a success or a failure. Um, Tyler's was con considered a failure. So they did some DNA testing and he was taking some oral medications and doing some infusions, but they were guessing. I mean, end of the day, we were all guessing. We had no idea. Um, but with it, you do have to remove the tumor or, or you will not make it. Um, so while we had hoped his surgery would be at the end of June to give him time to recover, it did not end up being until like the end of July, just because they weren't seeing with the 
chemo and the infusions, they weren't seeing like the death and the tumor they wanted to. Um, and the surgeon, you know, they don't want to go into a live tumor. They want as much to be dead as possible before they have to do that. Mm-hmm. So they had him go another month. Um, I will never forget. We went to Purdue, I believe, seven days before classes started. Um, Tyler was maybe three to four days out of surgery. He was on crutches. He threw up. He did not handle it well. We got in the car to come home. He said, I don't know if I can do this. And we just said, you know what, Tyler, you have a few more days to figure it out. And let's just pray and figure it out. And by the time that Saturday it was to move in, because classes started that Monday, he was ready. But, you know, he um, he came home that Thanksgiving. And I asked him at that Thanksgiving, what's been the best part of your freshman semester so far and the worst? And he said, well, the worst part is my under underestimating how hard it was going to be prior surgery like how painful Mm. it was going to be and of course he never told us that like he he protected us at all costs he was always like I'm fine I'm great like it's going well um but that was the thing he did say was the hardest so I know it was painful um but he made it and he you know really that was a semester his um story went national because that's when he's he uh camped out at the Purdue football game Um, So he had, he went and did he have a stranger as a roommate? He did. So he had, um, John was amazing. He met John over Facebook just before he was diagnosed for the second time. Mm -hmm. And they decided to be roommates. He was from Chicago. Um, However, he had three friends going, one girl and two boys who he's known since birth. Like, we do life together. These are people that I literally do life with. They're my best friends. Their kids are my kids. You know, like that kind of situation. But they all decided they probably shouldn't live together because they've literally been together their whole life. So none of them did. Um, And yes, so so he had to tell John, you know, after he was diagnosed that he had he'd gotten diagnosed for the second time and John could not have been a better roommate. Um, he was incredible. He took care of Tyler, looked out for him, did everything he could to help him. As a matter of fact, he said to me, you know, Mrs. He spoke at Tyler's memorial service and he Mm -hmm. said, my freshman year would never have been what it was if it weren't for Tyler. Um, that's really cool. Yeah, because John, you know, Tyler was super into sports and wanted to go to everything. And John's like, I never would have done that if it weren't for Tyler. And it made my ear. So, so it was a, yeah. sorry, go ahead. No, no, I'm done. You're good. I was just going to say, yeah, let's talk about the Purdue super fan persona <laughs> that, you know, that ultimately like led him to becoming a nationally known. Um, you know, he, you say he was obviously really sick at this time, but he was yes. showing up there at the football games, like decked out like a crazy super yep. fan, uh, like mm-hmm. we see on TV all the time. Yep. Um, and I'm always going, who are those people? <laughs> <laughs> I know, because that's not me. Yeah, it's definitely not me. I don't even go to football games, but, <laughs> but I mean, that's how I first saw his his story and um and so how did he end up getting you know kind of notoriety for this right so um I would say the summer like that summer that we just talked about in between first and second diagnosis he had gained some notoriety locally like in Indy because of speaking at youth groups and he had started a ministry called teens with the cause to help other cancer families so mm-hmm. you know indy had kind of caught a little bit of word of him and had done a couple news stories but he um 
had the homecoming game at Purdue against Michigan that year. He and his best friend, Josh, who was one of the boys that I said he grew up with. They actually even live in our neighborhood. But they decided they were going to camp out. Well, nobody camped out for Purdue football. Like, at this <laughs> point, like, Purdue football just, it was gaining some notoriety because of Coach Brown, but it was not there yet. Um, and so there was just a local reporter who happened to notice a tent outside <laughs> the student entrance to the ross Aid Stadium and stopped and kind of, like, knocked on their tent and was like, hey, who are you guys? What are you about? And he ended up doing a news story the next day. Brom showed up, Coach Brom, and, you know, introduced himself to the boys and thanked them. And then some of the players came. And it really, you know, just from there, as far as his freshman year, it really took off. Like he became, he kind of became one of Purdue's football mascots. Like it mm -hmm. was like, you always saw Tyler. They gave him like, he always got first into the student gate. He got to sit in the very front row. And then he got a job with the local Purdue paper called the Exponent Honest, actually um, following basketball. So he traveled like for sweet 16 and like he did, a, he went to New York, he went to Boston so he did a couple trips where he even traveled for Purdue basketball writing for the exponent. And so that just is kind of where it took off until, you know, his third diagnosis. And then, of course, the fall of his sophomore year when he was, you know, he well, he'd already been diagnosed for the third time, but he made it back to school for a few weeks. So he was in he went into remission a second time. Um, no, they would never say he was in remission. OK, um, yeah, so his third diagnosis, he was still taking oral chemo mm -hmm. and having some infusions. So no, he never. It was um, a different diagnosis. It was a completely third, different oh, diagnosis. Gotcha. Yeah, so in, again, it was spring. It was late February, early March. Um, he had been having some pain in his back. And it took us three times to have an MRI because the first two times he couldn't lay long enough. It hurt so bad. Mm. So they finally had to put him under to get an MRI. You know, they, they tried the first time, then they just tried the second time with some local drugs and that didn't work. And so they were like, we're going to have to put him under. But so mid-March, uh, which was in 2018, so we had lost my, my stepdad in January. Um, and then and Tyler and Jim were incredibly close. Um, but yeah, so in March he was the, he, they found like a sack on his spine. They initially told us they just thought it was a blood clot. And then we got called, I don't know, maybe like two weeks later, he happened to be in New York covering basketball for Purdue and was not going to get home until like a Monday night after midnight. So we drove up on a Tuesday night. I, I don't remember the exact date, but and we had to tell them that it wasn't a blood clot. It was osteosarcoma again. Oh, gosh. Yeah, it was horrible. So prior to that, though, I, I would assume that it was before then that he started uh, getting this sort of vision or commitment to raising money for cancer research, yes. right? Yes. And so when did, you know, after the second diagnosis, when did he go from, okay, I'm going to fight this thing with a better attitude this time too. Mm -hmm. Okay. I don't care what happens. I'm going to leave a legacy. Yeah. So backing up to my question about his highlight, you know, his highs and mm -hmm. lows from his first semester, his freshman year, his highlight was Purdue dance marathon, mm -hmm. which raised money for Riley. And of course he was a Riley kid. Mm -hmm. um, that became his life. Like he was all about whatever he could do to raise money. You know, of course, Purdue Dance Marathon embraced him 
heavily. And then he started doing some videos for Riley. As a matter of fact, his palliative nurse from Riley just texted me this week and said, I love walking into work and seeing Tyler's face on the video talking about cancer research, which just comforts my heart. But um, so he just started doing some things for Riley and some videos. And so I guess that's that's pretty much where it started. So his first and he is the highest fundraiser in the history of any dance marathon. Wow. Who's made over 100,000, who has collected over $100,000 in a dance marathon season for Riley. That's awesome. You know, yeah. for to pause for just a moment on Riley, I've never been there myself. I've never been inside, but of course I've heard about it my whole life. I live in mm-hmm. Indiana. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me, I, I, I'm sure like that the doctors and nurses are incredible. Mm-hmm. What's it like in there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it really is an amazing place. I mean, family is the best way I can describe it. Um, they really are like family and being, you know, we're obviously on the oncology side of things. So you not only had your inpatient family, you also had your outpatient family because you did both. Mm -hmm. Um, And they embrace you so beautifully and walk beside you so incredibly. Um, I cannot, have imagined being, and I know there are plenty of wonderful hospitals, but I am so grateful to have ended up there. Um, and just the way, you know, he has an endowment there now, um, that I think is close to like $200,000. Um, but they just, they really, um, you know, we do everything we can. We go to lots of rally events and luncheons and, try to raise as much money as we can for them. And so in interviews that I've seen with Tyler and just all of the coverage he got, you know, he always had seemed to have such optimism and he was very humble talking a lot about mm-hmm. how he didn't deserve all this attention. <laughs> um, so uh, how, I guess, where do you think he got this spirit of optimism and just humility? And um, was it something that he's had his whole life? Mm-hmm. Very good question. My husband and I talk about this a lot because we're like, we're not real sure where he came from. Um, <laughs> my, my best answer is God. Um, there are so many things that are unexplainable about who he is. I will tell you, like his freshman year in high school, I had two independent teachers completely separately come to me at one point and say, he's so special. I can't wait to see what God does with his future. You know, after he passed, we got letter after letter from teachers. One, when Tyler was like in fourth or fifth grade, she was going through, I didn't even know, she was going through a super hard time, and she said the highlight of her day was coming to school to see Tyler. Oh, Yeah, and so I, I, I don't, I mean, it's just the Lord's work in his heart. I, I, he was a caretaker. He um, would do anything he could for you. He did not want you to feel bad. He would lie, and <laughs> lie from the standpoint of, I'm good. I'm good. I'm great. Everything's good. Where Tony and I would be like, you're not okay. Why are you saying you're okay? You're not. But he just did not want other people to feel uncomfortable. You know, one of his quotes that gets around a lot is everyone has a story. There just needs to be someone willing to listen to it. And he was kind of one of those kids who would be like, enough about me. Tell me about you. You know, because he just never wanted anyone around him to feel down or bad. Yeah. You know, to the point, even when he went his freshman year and was bald and on on crutches he wouldn't even talk about his cancer like he wouldn't tell people he had cancer you would have had to either hear from someone else or ask him yeah yeah 
And then ultimately he wrote a book that was yes. published earlier this year, The Upset. Um, and did he tell you, why did he want to write this book? What was important to him about the book? Yeah, so he's always been a writer, you know, part of his interest in writing for, you know, the school newspaper and all of that. And um, so even in high school, like he would write excerpts of things. And in 2017, I'll never forget. Um, and this was, let me think, before his second, yeah, it was before his second diagnosis. He wrote an article and he posted on Facebook and it was about dreams, like dreams of kids and, you know, what you dream about. And at the bottom of that article, he asterisked it and he said, from an excerpt of a book, I'll probably never write. Mm. And that is so, like, when it came up as one of my memories just not too long ago, I couldn't even believe it. Like, I was mm -hmm. like, oh, my gosh, here we are. And we've written this book. And, his, you know, he got to see the cover. He got to read most of the chapters. You know, he was heavily involved until he passed away. So it was, it's a beautiful thing that he got to be a part of it as much as he did. Were you guys attempting to get it published before that happened? Um, we were, I will tell you in May of 2018, we were told Tyler had two weeks to two months mm -hmm. and he two lived weeks. Two Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was after his third diagnosis and, but he made it until January 1st of 2019. So I don't know that we thought we'd get it done before he passed, but he got to see a whole lot more than we ever anticipated he would. So did they, when, so when you got that third diagnosis, is that when they told you that timeline or was it soon after that? Um, so no, they did not tell us until, so we, he got diagnosed at their time in like mid-March. They put him on some different genomic medications that they had chemos that they had not used the second time seeing if that would make a difference when he went in in may for his checkup it had grown mm. exponentially and there was another tumor found on his clavicle his yeah it was hurt and that's when they told us and that that's when we like that visit was when we decided we needed hospice you know palliative team from Riley came on and that's when it all started. Yeah. Did you guys ever stop praying for healing? Never. No, no, mm -mm. no, we never stopped praying for healing, but I will tell you that we do believe that while God did not heal him physically, the miracles, what he did with his story and his platform and that he has four endowments that he's raised over $2 million for cancer. Like that's the miracle. The, yeah. the prayer, the prayers that Tyler prayed, if he had to be this person to have cancer and to fight this battle, I'm sorry. Um, you know, those prayers he prayed have been answered. Those are the miracles. Yeah. I'm sorry. Oh, don't apologize. I'm, <laughs> I started it. <laughs> um, no, he has, yeah, he has such an amazing story. Now is his, is his um is the money that he raised does that go just for all cancer research or is he specifically doing that for osteosarcoma? No, it does depending on what foundation or what endowment you're talking about. It's different. Um, so like Purdue's is for across the board. They are doing some osteo osteosarcoma specific um, trials. Um, Riley, of course, is for pediatric cancer, but we're honestly we're not like I just no child like. For us, it doesn't have to be osteosarcoma. Like, our kids should not outlive us. Or we, I'm sorry, we should not outlive our kids. Like, that is right. not natural. Right. 
And so our thought process as a family is, you know, pediatric cancer is kind of like our number one, like it's so underfunded, it's ridiculous. And there are, there are future, there are, you know, and I don't know why more money doesn't go towards it, but it doesn't. It's like 4% of all government funding. It's, it's to us a tragedy. Mm -hmm. Um, So, but our foundation, we started our, so then we have the Jimmy V foundation and they have done some osteosarcoma specific and then just some general as well. Um, It's kind of across the board where it goes quite honestly. And then our foundation, we will put towards pediatric cancer. And so in those, you thought you had two months maybe, um, but you Mm -hmm. had however many months more, seven months more or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, So in those, in that time that maybe you thought you didn't have, um, first of all, you know, how did Tyler handle that time? And it it, was it in that time period that you, he was awarded the ESPN award and some Mm -hmm. of those other things that, um, that we saw during the year of 2018. Yes, absolutely. So I would say initially he handled it um, really hard. He ended up coming home from school early. He was in so much pain. And I would say he was, you know, dealing with some depression and, oh my gosh, you know, a third time. And we never openly, if I'm being honest, talked about it being terminal, yet we all knew. You know, there was just an understanding that we're going to live every day to the best we can. We're going to love the Lord. We're going to pray for a miracle. But I think everyone in my family knew that the end wasn't going to be probably what we wanted it to be unless the Lord really did perform a miracle. Um, and I think Tyler knew that too, but it was just not in his personality to talk like that. So we didn't, you know, to him. Um, and that summer, he, you know, about mid-July, was just like, I want to go back to school. You know, my husband and I were like, there is no way. Like, mm-hmm. we're looking at each other like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, you know, at this point, he's paralyzed from the waist down. Mm-hmm. He, um, you know, and, and, but then he, he read a book and I feel, I cannot remember the name of it, but it was about an OR doctor who was dying of cancer. And he, and I, I, this is not like verbatim quote, but in the quote, he talked about something like, while I am living with an impending visitor of death, I'm going to live while I'm alive. Mm-hmm. And Tyler quoted that to us, and I'll never forget his pal of nurse had come over that day from Riley, Amy, to help me, like, convince him that he couldn't go to school. Like, you know, I, I was like, because that was her job, was part of helping me talk Tyler through things and, mm-hmm. you know, end-of-life decisions, medications, like, things like that. And when he quoted, we looked at each other, and we both just smiled, and we both knew we couldn't tell him he couldn't go. Like, it was <laughs> just this, like, yeah. he's going he's gonna to go if he can. And so from that point forward, that was like early July, I was like, you have to prove to me you can take care of yourself in a wheelchair, you can get in and off, you know, in and out of bed and et cetera. And it just, everything lined up, hospice, his, his house he was living in that he'd already signed a lease on with his freshman roommate and two other guys that became two of his best friends at school. It had a master floor bedroom and bathroom that they gave to Tyler, it was all hardwoods. The landlord changed all sorts of things about his closet and bathroom to help him because, I mean, it just, everything worked out. So he did end up going. He did. He went for like seven weeks. I mean, for you as a mom, I uh-huh. it must have been hard for you to not, not just for the fact that he was sick, but for being like, I want, I want all the moments I can have exactly. with you. Yeah. That was probably our hardest part is I'm giving up time with my son, but. 
I want him to live. You know, I want him to dream and I want him, you know, I honestly think it's what kept him alive longer. You know, just thinking about these things and wanting to do these things and having this motivation that I'm going to do this. Yeah. You know, as long as I can. And yes, it was probably, you know, outside of telling your child three or four times they have cancer, it was probably the next hardest thing we ever did was let him go. Yeah. Now, granted, I was there weekly. <laughs> yeah. You know, my in-laws live like 30 minutes from Purdue. My sister-in-law, my brother-in-law, my mother. So that helped. My my nephew is a um, youth pastor in Lafayette. So that all helped. I knew he was in good care with hospice and his roommates. But yeah, it was more of just that time I wasn't going to have with him. Yeah. So when he came home, he had started having seizures. Um and he just wasn't doing well and it ended up in his brain, you know, mm. and he just couldn't take care of himself anymore. His, he had started because of his seizures, he lost all feeling on his left side. So he, at that point only had his right arm and he just, he couldn't, you know, he just couldn't do it anymore. So okay. we brought him home thinking the end was near. And then we made it to that Ohio State, you know, ESPN did their piece on him. They mm -hmm. got word of him somehow. I honestly don't need, I could, my husband probably knows. I don't even know how that all, um, social media is a powerful thing. Yeah. And, you know, I know on Twitter, people are like, ESPN, like game day, college game day, you need to do a piece on, you know, Purdue people were, yeah. um, really rallying around him. And so ESPN did their piece. He predicted Purdue was going to beat Ohio State, which we never should have beat Ohio State. <laughs> I mean, it was like literally Tom Rinaldi from ESPN said, Tyler, do you really want this on camera? Like, do you understand what you're saying? Like, it was so funny. <laughs> and he's like, they're going to beat, you know, they're... and they did. And from there, it literally exploded. Like his story from that point on is beyond us. Like, and his so what month was that last year? That, that, happened? that was, so he came home at the end of September the Ohio State game, I believe, was like, I want to say like October 20th. It was like mid to late October. And we never thought we'd even, I literally thought that would be the last football game Tyler would ever go to. Like, I never even anticipated that we would be at the Music City Bowl at the end of December with him being the captain. Like, never. And then he died four days later after we yeah. got home yeah. from that. So, like, I feel like, you know, the football season wrapped up and so did Tyler's life. Yeah. Yeah, so it was, you know, it was... Well, yeah. I mean, at that point, when you guys traveled for the, some of those things, I mean, I'm a, I'm, I'm assuming that it, you still had that same mindset about, you know, sending him to Purdue again, just that he's still here, so let's mm -hmm. just keep doing it. Let's, let's keep living. Right, and I will tell you, every time we got invited to do something, I see, you know, privately, I would say to my husband, we can't do that. Like, we cannot do this. Tyler's not able to do, you know, and God just always, you know, now I will tell you, it took a lot. It took a lot of effort. You know, hospice had to say, are you prepared if he dies where you're at? Mm -hmm. Who are you going to call? Where are you going to go? You need to, you know, we had to make those phone calls. We had to make those arrangement arrangements. It was not an easy thing, but Tony and I just really felt like it was giving Tyler life. And, and he was always wanting to go, right? Always. All, to a fault. Wow. <laughs> well, in the verse that he had on his has on the the Tyler Strong shirt is first Thessalonians 5:16 Rejoice always pray continually give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Was he holding on to that verse um the whole time? 
Absolutely. So when we told him the Saturday morning in 2014 for the first time that it was cancer, he said to, uh, the first words out of his mouth were, well, I was just having a quiet time with the Lord, which, you know, and we're looking at him like, what 15-year-old does? I mean, like, <laughs> yeah, he was just so exceptional. I, I mean, and, and again, I'm telling you, it was God. It was not Tony. I take no credit. Like this kid was just, God made him for this time. And he said, this is where I was. This is the verse I was reading. And I think this was meant for me in this journey. And that so that's was, where that was when he was started. 15. Yes. And to, yep. In July of 2014. That's, that's incredible mm-hmm. because it, it's, you know, years later, of course, that's the one that stayed with him all that time. The entire time. Oh, yeah. Wow. And so recently, um, <clears throat> you guys, uh, you had a, a student section of a gate at Purdue, um, yes. dedicated to Tyler and your husband, uh, and your family was there talking about, um, Tyler. And of course, in the dedication and your husband said he wanted everyone to know that God had a plan for their life. Moving forward, how do you guys plan to honor Tyler's legacy um, for the rest of your lives? Right. Yeah. No, we um, we definitely say he left us with a job. <laughs> <laughs> and my husband even talks about retiring and going into it full time. Um, we'll see, you know, what where that leads down the road. I'm not sure. But yes, I mean, it is definitely our family. You know, I t- we talked to our other boys about, you know, it's, it's an interesting place to live where, you know, your child has been physically gone since January, but your life completely still revolves around him. Mm-hmm. And remembering you have two other boys, right? right? You know, and that you have to make sure that they're being well taken care of and that they are equally a part of what we're doing. So that is high on our list of making sure Blake and Ethan understand their role and what they can do to help and how they can share. Um but yeah, I mean, our goals are just to continue to share his story and to raise money for cancer research and to glorify the Lord and to lament well, you know, in the midst of all of it. And it's it's a very much up and down journey. You know, we, we recognize that we are very, very rare in parents who lose their kids. Most parents don't have the attention that we have. Mm-hmm. And while that's a beautiful thing, yes, it's hard, but it's more beautiful than hard. And we know he's not forgotten. You know, we know he's being remembered. We know his legacy is going on. And so we feel uh, urgency and a um, responsibility to, for those who don't have that. Yeah, that's really important. Um, yeah. And I think, yeah, I think you guys being vocal and and vocal in the aftermath of, you know, you know, I, I was looking on some of your social media and I, I see you sharing verses or, you know, positive uplifting things. And I think, you know, that can only be an encouragement and a support for other people that are going through this. And, you know, seeing someone come out on the other side and seeing that there's still life and there's still hope, mm-hmm. um, I can only imagine how important that is. Yeah. Well, the, the last question I have about, about this, um, story is Tyler wanted to end cancer. Um, did he have an ultimate you know, a goal. I think it was like one million dollars, but you guys far <laughs> surpassed that. Yeah. Um. And and so, did he have anything else in in mind where he said, "Does he did he want to see the end of cancer in his in you know in your lifetime or anything like that?" Yeah, I think one of the videos that we did. Yes. Yeah, so one million dollars was his goal. Like I don't think he ever dreamed he would ever surpass that, and he has. Um. But in one of his videos that he did for Riley, well, even when he said this to me, I was like, man, that's a long ways away. <laughs> but he said, I hope in 100 years. And I'm thinking, what do you mean? Like 20 years? You know? Yeah. <laughs> it was so far to me. But 
yeah, I mean, I think he really, truly, genuinely had a passion for other families not to have to go through what we did or what he did. And like I said, he was a protector, you know, so he, while he was super vocal and positive, I know he kept a lot inside that he didn't want his dad and I to know, you Mm -hmm. know, just out of protection for us. But I think that's where his heart, you know, that's where his heart came out because he knew, he knew. And so it was like, whatever I can do to end this or bring awareness or get help so other families don't have to, that's what he wanted to do. If someone's listening right now that's going through what you went through, is there anything that you could say to them or what would you say to them um, as someone that's been through it? Yeah, that's a tough question. I mean, I think probably one of the biggest things is loneliness, you know, just feeling like nobody else understands even you can be and we have an amazing support system like amazing I can't even begin to complain about that but it doesn't mean that you don't feel alone even when you're surrounded by people because while those people love you well they don't have a child that they lost or a child that was fighting cancer so my biggest thing is connecting with other parents who understand Mm mm-hmm yeah. Um, because Not, yeah. it's, yeah, it's a club you don't want to be in, you know, but your best friends don't get it as much as they love you if they're not bearing it, you know? So I don't know if that answers your question. No, but. it does. It does. I think that kind of support is, is maybe the most important thing. And I, I will look around to see if there's, you know, a place that I can reference or, you know, give people a link or something to where they could find that. Sure. Yeah. Now through this, uh, have you, did you read, I mean, have you read any books or anything that you think were helpful to you, um, either then or since, since Tyler passed? Yeah, I, I would say since, well, during, um, there's a devotional called um, Streams in the Desert. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I think it's his last name's Conaway. Um, that it, it's just a daily devotional, but it's about when you're going through a hard time. You know, it's all about that. It is not about life is great and grand and yay raw. You know, it's all about how am I going to endure another day of hardship or hurt or pain. And that during and now has been probably my number one like helpful thing that I'm able to read every day because it doesn't take time right you know like I can read a devotional but I will and I I really don't want to I mean I I don't want to I'm not saying this for a plug or anything like that but our pastor at our church wrote a book called deep deep uh let me think dark clouds deep mercy Mm -hmm. and it's all about his name's Mark Rogup um v-r-o-e-g-o-p and it is all about Christian lament and Mm -hmm. he we went away with them for about four days after Tyler died he and his wife and he really walked us through what Christian lament you know what because people don't you know people don't know how to do it like you just don't and that book is incredibly helpful I would say for and, and it doesn't have to be death. Like, whatever you're lamenting, whatever your hardship is, there's lament across the globe. And um, so that would probably be the other book that, that comes to mind that has really guided us through 
since he's passed. Did you guys plan to do that with your pastor or was, did that come up afterwards? Mm -mm. It just came after. And he already, as a matter of fact, we used to joke with him. He had that, he was writing that book long before Tyler passed. As a matter of fact, they both came, both our book and his book came out in the month month of March of Mm -hmm. 2019. And we kind of joked, he's like, are you kidding me? I've been like writing this book for over a year Wow! and you guys started like, you know, it kind (laughs) of became a joke between us, but, um, no, it was not planned. It was totally a gift from our church. And, um, yeah, we just. Well, I just can't. Be... I can imagine how. I mean, incredibly. I don't know. I don't want to say blessing, but how how much that must have helped you just to in a healthy way, kind of process things. And so, that's not something I ever hear about anyone doing in, in these kind no. of situations. Mm-hmm. So I, I can only imagine how God was able to use that for you. No, it was it was probably a very very pivotal pivotal you know life changing four days in our life and in our story of you know, learning to grieve Tyler's passing and, you know, of course, continue to talk to them and they continue to, are, are, we were shepherded beautifully from our church. I, there, I can't even say enough words of how amazing they were. What church do you go to? Um, we go to College Park. It's off oh, okay. 6th in town. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they have a couple, I think they have a, a location in Fishers that we went to. And they do. Church hopping yeah. back in the old days when we first yeah. moved here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They um, do. All right, Kelly. Well, I just can't thank you enough for spending this hour with me and sharing Tyler's story and sharing your heart with me. Uh, we had never met, but um, I just appreciate it. And uh, I think there's so much to take from this. So thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's I'm, I'm honored and humbled. Thank you. Thank you for helping me continue his story. Well, thanks for tuning in today, guys. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Kelly Trent. Go ahead and grab yourself a copy of Tyler's book. Check out his story online. You will be so inspired by his story. Thanks so much for joining me. I'll see you next Tuesday. Have a blessed one. This episode was brought to you in part by the Truce Podcast. The new season examines the connection between some evangelicals and the Republican Party with the help of world-class historians. Subscribe to Truce in your podcast app or listen at trucepodcast.com.